Welcome to Mouseliness, where we will discuss everything Disney from the parks to the movies and everything in between, and with a special Disney recipe every week. This week, we're reviewing The Fox and the Hound on Kate Watches a Movie. <laughs> and now the news. Indiana Jones' Den of Destiny is now open at Disney's Hollywood Studios in the former indie gift shop near 50s Primetime. Inside, you'll find recreations of props of the new Indiana Jones movie, a movie, a photo op wall, and a bar. Upcoming Indian. Indiana Jones and the Dial of the Destiny in theaters on June 30th. The new outpost at Disney's Hollywood Studios offers foods and drinks inspired by the franchise. Alcoholic drinks include the Adventures Margarita, the Weathered Fedora, alongside the non-alcoholic La Antalique Green Tea. Price ranges around 14 bucks. There are standing tables available in a covered outdoor area. The new lounge will be open through August 15th. Disney has added another off-site hotel to the list of hotels eligible for early morning hours at their theme parks of Walt Disney World through 2024. Guests staying at the Drury Plaza Hotel Orlando Lake Buena Vista will now be able to enter the park 30 minutes early before regular owning as part of the early entry for through 2024. Epcot will celebrate the return of the Candlelight Processional as part of the Epcot International Festival of the Holidays starting November 24th through December 30th. Other guest favorite traditions, including storytellers from around the world, joyful musical acts, and holiday kitchens return to World Showcase for the festival. Permits have been filed to refurbish the volcano over at the Rainforest Cafe in Disney Springs at Walt Disney World. Assigned to the Whiting Turner Contracting Company, the permit describes the project as a refresh volcano at Rainforest Cafe in Disney Springs. <laughs> Ooh, I wonder what they're doing. Probably paint. Does anybody yeah. even go there anymore? <laughs> we actually have friends that just went there. Oh, okay. I haven't been there in like 30 years. <laughs> I've never been there, personally. I have never walked in there. Our local mall used to have one way back in the day, and I've only been... T- I went to that one in the one... Like 20 years ago on my college program once, and that was it. <laughs> I've been to the one in Staten Island in the mall that they have, but that's that's, that's the only one I think I've ever been to. Hmm? Rainforest, not T-Rex. Oh, I'm sorry. I've never been to the T-Rex Cafe. T-Rex is actually but, good, but I went... It's very similar to, in my mind. But this says Rainforest Cafe. T-Rex? I liked T-Rex. Rainforest, I didn't yeah. really care for. This says Rainforest Cafe, not oh, T-Rex okay. Cafe. Then I've been to Rainforest. That we're talking about here. <laughs> I've been to the rainforest in downtown Orlando and in Staten Island, but not this one. But I haven't been in years. I just have no desire. If I can go, like, drive an hour and a half, I'm not going to go eat at this restaurant. Yeah. Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party returns to Magic Kingdom for select nights between November 9th and December 22nd, 2023. Tickets for Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party are limited and can be purchased online beginning July 6th. Guests of select Walt Disney World Resort Hotels, Walt Disney World Swan and Dolphin Hotels, and Shades of Green can begin purchasing tickets as early as June 29th on the Walt Disney World website. Ticket prices will range from $159 to $199 per Jesus. Oh, my God. Wait, $200 for a... No. No, no. An increase of $10 for the cheapest tickets compared to 2022. That's... No. I remember when it was like 35 or 40 bucks. It, it was always around 40 to, like, 65, I want to say. When yeah. Used to, uh, I don't remember ever being cheap as 30. The party dates are 
in November the 9th, 10th, 13th, 14th, 16th, 17th, 19th, 21st, 22nd, 26th, 28th, and 30th. And for December, the 1st, the 3rd, 5th, 7th, 8th, 10th, 12th, 14th, 15th, 17th, 19th, 21, and 22. Returning shows and entertainment include Mickey's Most Merriest Celebration and Minnie's Wonderful Christmas Time Fireworks and Mickey's Once Upon a Christmas Time Parade. Mickey's Very Merry Christmas Party takes place from 7 p.m. to midnight. Ticket holders will be admitted to Magic Kingdom Park as early as 4 p.m. on the valid date of their ticket. These base, these date-specific event tickets do not require an additional day theme park ticket or theme park reservation. Disney has announced a new Magic Kingdom show debuting this holiday season to replace a frozen holiday wish. Disney says guests will be able to enjoy Elsa, Anna, Olaf, Kristoff, and the Snogies in front of Cinderella Castle at Magic Kingdom for Frozen Holiday Surprise, a brand new Frozen-inspired entertainment experience that will illuminate the castle in a whole new way. Are they cheaping out not doing the lights? Because that's what I saw it well, as. Well, they can't because of the projections now. <sighs> well, uh, also, they've been doing a lot of construction around the castle recently. Um, with So I don't know if they can actually get the crane in because I know they were they, they, they I feel like they're constantly draining the moat and filling up the moat and draining the moat and filling up the moat lately so <laughs> every the visit the, the boat's drained yeah this delightful new offering can be seen during regular park hours and during Mickey's very merry Christmas party I don't like projections if they're I done don't, right it's okay if it's in Disneyland like on Main Street at the Halloween party like that stuff is cute but on the castle I don't think it's needed I like it. I like it. I don't have a problem with it, honestly. And they're doing that on in Disney World too now. The stuff on Main Street. But yeah, I, I don't think I've ever had. a... I mean, as long as like Disney does it right, in my opinion. And they always had projections. Like they, the projections have technology has increased, but there's always been projections on the castle for fireworks shows. The last yeah. fireworks show I saw at Disneyland, it was just a bit too much projection on the castle. Well, that castle is tiny, so. Yeah, true. <laughs> right now, on to our main topic where we made Kate watch Fox and the Hound. Fox and the Hound is my all time favorite movie that was only unseated by Lion King. So it's my number two favorite movie, second only to Lion King. Tell us how you feel about it, Tim. <laughs> Still love this movie. You're not supposed to say that part yet. I don't care. <laughs> spoiler alert spoiler alert I mean there are some problems with it but the Fox and the Hound is a 1981 American animated a buddy drama film produced by Walt Disney Productions and loosely based on the 1967 novel of the same name by Daniel P. Mannix the 24th Disney animated feature film it tells the story of an unlikely friendship between a red fox named Todd and a hound dog named Copper their struggle to preserve their friendship despite their emerging instincts and the surrounding social pressures demanding them to be adversaries as they are enemies by nature. After Chief, Copper's mentor and guardian, who is owned by the same hunter as him, is hit by a train while chasing Todd and seemingly almost dies, Copper assumes his role as a hunting dog and vows vengeance against Todd. Eventually, they fight each other, but in the end, Copper saves Todd after Todd saves him and his owner from a bear. The film was directed by Ted Berman, Richard Rich, and Art Stevens, marking the directional debuts of Berman and Rich. It was produced by Ron Miller, Wolfgang Reitherman, and Art Stevens. The ensemble voice cast consists of Mickey Rooney as Todd and Kurt Russell as 
Copper, respectively. The instrumental music score to the film was composed and conducted by Buddy Baker, with Walter Sheets performing the orchestration. Walt Disney Productions first obtained the film rights to the novel by Daniel P. Maddox in 1967. However, actual development on the film would not occur until spring of 1977. It marked the last involvement of the remaining members of Disney's Nine Old Men, which included Frank Thomas and Ollie Johnston. During production, its release was delayed by over six months following the abrupt departure of Don Bluth and his team of animators. Further concerns were raised over the handling of the scene in which Chief was hit by a train, which was originally planned to result in him dying. After debating the handling of the scene, the filmmakers decided to change the death into a non-fatal injury by which he merely suffers a broken leg. The film was released to theaters on July 10, 1981 by Buena Vista Distribution. It was a financial success, becoming the 14th highest grossing film of the year and earning $39.9 million in the United States. However, it received mixed reviews from critics who praised the animation and the voicing acting of it, but believed it was not groundbreaking enough. It was nominated for three awards, of which it won one. At the time of its release, it was the most expensive animated film production to date, costing $12 million. It was re-released to theaters on March 25, 1988. In an immediate follow-up, The Fox and the Hound 2 was released directly to DVD on December 12, 2006. Plot. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Wow. So enthusiastic. I wow. think everyone picked this movie so they could prove I'm a robot or not. <laughs> That's what I think. <laughs> and plot. After a young red fox is orphaned, Big Mama the Owl and her friends Dinky the Finch and Boomer the Woodpecker arranged for him to be adopted by a kindly farmer named Widow Tweed, who names him Todd. Meanwhile, her neighbor, Hunter Amos... Slade brings home a young hound puppy named Copper and introduces him to his hunting dog, Chief, who is at first annoyed by him but learns to love him. One day, Todd and Copper meet and become besties, pledging eternal friendship. Amos grows frustrated at Copper for constantly watering off to play and places a leash on him. While playing with Copper outside his barrel, Todd accidentally wakes Chief. Amos and Chief chase him until they are stopped by Tweed. After an argument, Amos threatens to kill Todd if he trespasses on his property again. Hunting season comes and Amos takes Chief and Copper into the wilderness for the interim. Meanwhile, Big Mama, Dinky, and Boomer attempted to explain to Todd that Copper will soon become his enemy. However, he naively insists that they will remain friends forever. The following spring, Todd and Copper reach adulthood. Copper returns as an expert hunting dog who is expected to track down foxes. Late at night, Todd sneaks over to visit him. Their conversation awakens Chiefs, who alerts Amos. A chase ensues and Copper catches Todd, but lets him go while diverting Amos. Chief catches Todd as he attempts an escape on a railroad track, we just said, and the train strikes him, resulting in him falling in the river below and breaking his leg. Enraged by this, Copper and Amos blame Todd for the accident and vow vengeance. Realizing Todd is no longer safe with her, Tweed leaves him at a game reserve after a disastrous night on his own in the woods. Big Mama introduces him to Vixie, a female fox, who helps him adapt to life there. Amos and Copper trespass into the reserve and hunt Todd and Vixie. The chase climaxes when they inadvertently provoke an attack from a giant bear. Amos trips and falls into one of his own traps, dropping his rifle slightly out of reach. Copper violently fights the bear, but is almost killed by it. 
Todd comes home to rescue his battles until they both fall down the waterfall. As Copper approaches Todd as he lies wounded in the lake, Amos appears ready to shoot. I'm going to cry just reading the ending again. <laughs> Jesus. So Copper protects his friend at the end, basically. So, yeah. That's the gist. That's at the very end. I can't. I'm, like, tearing up <laughs> to read the end of that. They reconcile their friendship with one last mile before parting. At, back at home, Tweed nurses Amos back to health, much to his humiliation. As he lies down to Topper, take a nap, Copper smiles as he remembers the days where he first met Todd. At the same moment, Vixie joins Todd on top of the hill as they both look down on Amos in Tweed's homes. So, for the boys cast, we have a really strong voice cast. So we have Mickey Rooney as Todd. Keith Mitchell as young Todd. We have Kurt Russell as Copper. And yes, that Corey Feldman as young Copper. We have Pearl Bailey as Big Mama. Jack Alberson as Amos Slade. Sandy Duncan as Vixie. Jeanette Nolan as Widow Teed. Pat Butram as Chief. John Fieldler as the Porcupine. John McIntyre as the Badger. Dick Bacalan as Dinky and Paul Winchell as Boomer. So in May 1967, shortly before the novel won the Dutton Animal Book Award, it was reported that Walt Disney Productions had obtained the film rights to it. In spring 1977, development began on the project after Wolfgang Ritherman had read the original novel and decided that it would make for a good animated feature as one of his sons once owned a pet fox years before. The title was originally reported as The Fox and the Hounds, but the filmmakers, filmmakers dropped the plural as the story began to focus more and more on the two leads. Ritherman was the film's original director as long as, with Art Stevens as co-director. A power struggle between the two directors, co-producer, I'm sorry, a power struggle between the two directors and co-producer Ron Miller broke out over key sections of the film with Miller supporting the younger Stevens. Miller instructed Ritherman to surrender reins over the junior personnel, but Ritherman resisted due to a lack of trust in the young animators. So production of this was a hot mess. <laughs> and it gets worse. In the early version of the film, Chief was slated to die as he did in the novel. However, the scene was modified to have him survive with a broken leg. Animator Ron Clements, who briefly transitioned into the story department, protested, Chief has to die. <laughs> The picture doesn't work if he just breaks his leg. Copper doesn't have motivation to hate the fox. Likewise, younger members of the story team pleaded with Steven to have him killed. Jesus! <laughs> How dark. He counted, geez, we never killed a main character in a Disney film, and we're not starting now. <laughs> <laughs> the younger crew members took the problem to upper management, who had also backed Steven's. Ollie Johnson's test animation of Chief stomping around the house with his leg in a cast was eventually kept, and Randy Cartwright reanimated the scene where Copper finds his body and had him animate his eyes opening and closing so the audience knew he was not dead. I didn't know! I wasn't I sure! I wasn't sure! I, I was... wasn't sure either. <laughs> I, for... I watched it 30 years ago. I didn't remember. I, I didn't die. <laughs> I didn't remember, but, like, yeah... It... 
That wasn't the only fight, though. Another fight erupted when Ritherman, in thinking the film liked a strong second act, decided to add a musical sequence of two swooping cranes <laughs> voiced by Bo Harris and Charo. <laughs> Random! <laughs> Charo, Jesus. <laughs> These characters were supposed to sing a silly song titled Scooby Dooby Doo, Let Your Body Turn to Goo. <laughs> to Todd after he was dropped in the forest. Aww. Oh my god, I need to try to see if this is around. According to this, Charo has recorded the song and several voice tracks that were that were storyboarded and live action reference footage was shot of her wearing a sweaty pink leotard. Ew. <laughs> However, the sing was strongly disliked by studio personnel who felt the song was a distraction from the main plot. Oh, uh, yeah? With Steven stating, <laughs> we can't let that sequence in the movie. It's totally out of place. <laughs> you think? <laughs> he notified studio management, and after many story conferences, the scene was removed. Ritherman later walked into his office, slumped in a chair, and said, I don't know, Art, maybe this is a young man's medium. He later moved on to underdeveloped projects such as the Catfish Bend. <laughs> wow. Yeah, that's interesting. So by late 1978, Frank Thomas, Ollie Johnson, and Cliff Norberg had completed their animation. Thomas had animated scenes of Todd and Copper using dialogue Larry Clemens had written and recorded with the child actors. The film would mark the last one to have the involvement of Disney's nine old men who had retired early during production. An animation was turned over to the next generation of directors and animators, which included John Lasseter, John Musker, Ron Clements, Glenn Keane, Tim Burton, Brad Bird, Henry Selleck, and Chris Buck, Mike Gabriel, and Mark Dindle, all of whom would finalize the animation and complete the film's production. These animators have moved through the in-house animation training program and would play an important role in the Disney renaissance of the 1980s and 90s. However, the transition between the old guard and the new resulted in arguments over how to handle the film. Ritherman had his own ideas on the designs and layouts that should be used, but the newer team backed Stevens. Animator Don Bluth animated several scenes, including Widow Tweed milking her cow, Abigail, while his team worked on the rest of the sequence and when she fires at Amos' automobile. Nevertheless, Bluth and the new animators felt that Ritherman was too stern and out of touch, and on his 42nd birthday, September 13, 1979, Bluth, along with Gary Oldman and John Pomeroy, entered Ron Miller's office, and they turned in their resignations. Soon after, 13 more animators followed suit in turning in their resignations. Though Bluth and his team had animated substantial scenes, they asked not to receive screen credit. With those animators now gone, Miller ordered all of the resigning animators off the studio lot by noon of that same day, and would later push the film's release from Christmas 1980 to summer of 1981. New animators were hired and promoted to fill the ranks. To compensate for the lack of experience of the new animators, much of the quality control would rely upon a network of veteran assistant animators. Four years after production started, the film was finished with approximately 360,000 drawings, 110,000 painted cells, and 1,100 painted backgrounds making up the finished product. A total of 180 people, including 24 animators, worked on the film. So this, this movie took out a lot of people. Yeah. <laughs> this is the most drama we've had on one of these movies. It is. Seriously. 
planned for casting. Early into production, the characters such as Young Tog, Young Copper, Big Mama, and Amos Slade had already been cast. The supporting roles were filled by Disney voice regulars, including Pat Butram as Chief. We already said all that. And Mickey Rooney, who had just filmed Pete's Dragon in 1977 as Adult Todd. Jeanette Nolan has the second choice for Widow Tweed after Helen Hayes turned down the role. The last role to be cast, Adult Copper, Jackie Cooper, had auditioned for the role but left the project when he demanded more money than the studio was willing to pay. While filming Elvis 1979 TV film, former Disney young actor Kurt Russell was cast following a reading that had impressed the filmmakers and completed his dialogue and two recording sessions. The growling vocals for the bear were provided by sound effects artist Jimmy McDonald. For music, the soundtrack album for the film was released in 1981 by Disneyland Records. It contained songs written by Stan Fiddle, Jim Stafford, and Jeffrey Patch. The One of the songs, Best of Friends... Then we have Lack of Education, A Hunting Man, Appreciation, Appreciate the Jim Bafford, Jim Stafford, Pearl Bailey Lady, Goodbye May. <laughs> just appreciate the lady. <laughs> oh, I yeah, <laughs> whatever. Appreci- Jim Stafford wrote it in Pearl Bailey. So. Oh, appreciate the lady. Yeah. <laughs> and Goodbye May seem forever. All right. So for the release. For the box office, in its original release, the film grossed $39.9 million in domestic grosses, the highest for an animated film at the time for its initial release. Its distributor rentals were reported to be $14.2 million, while its international rentals totaled $43 million. It was re-released theatrically on March 25th, 1988, where it grossed $23.5 million. It has a lifetime gross of $63.5 million across its original release and reissue. Over on home media, oh, we don't have all the weird ones. I'm disappointed. (laughs) (laughs) So the film was first released on VHS back on March 4th, 1994, as the last entry in the Walt Disney's Classics line. This release was placed into moratorium on April 30th, 1995. On May 2nd, year 2000, it was released on Region 1 DVD for the first time as part of the Walt Disney Gold Classics Collection line along with simultaneous VHS reissue as part of the same video line on the same day. This edition went into moratorium on January 2006. Soon after, the 25th anniversary special edition DVD was released on October 10th, 2006. The film was released on Blu-ray on August 9th, 2011, commemorating its 30th anniversary as part of a three-disc Blu-ray DVD combo back that was bundled as a two-movie collection featuring The Fox and the Hound 2 on the same Blu-ray disc. So initial reviews. Vincent Canby of the New York Times claimed that the film breaks no new ground whatsoever while describing it as a pretty relentlessly cheery, old-fashioned sort of Disney cartoon feature. Chock full of bouncy songs of an upbeatness that is stickier than crazy glue and played by animals more anthropomorphic than the humans that occasionally appear. He further commented that the film is rather overstuffed with whimsy and folksy dialogue. It also possesses a climax that could very well scare the daylights out of the smaller tykes in the audience, though all ends well. Parents who don't relish chaperoning their tykes to see the movie, but find they must anyway, can take heart in the knowledge that the running time is 83 minutes. That's about as short as you can get these days. But you know what? Screw Vincent Campy. <laughs> <laughs> Sheila Benson of the LA Times praised the animation but criticized the story for playing it too safe. 
She acknowledged that the rioters were protecting us from important stuff, from rage, from pain, from loss, by these lies done for our own good. Of course, they also limit the growth that is possible. David Anson of Newsweek stated, adults may wince at some of the sticky sweet songs, but the movie is not intended for grown-ups. Richard Corliss of Time Magazine praised the film for its intelligent story about prejudice. He argued that it shows that biased attitudes can poison even the deepest relationships, and its bittersweet ending delivers a powerful, important moral message to audiences. Roger Ebert of the Chicago Sun-Times also praised it, saying, for all of its familiar qualities, this movie marks something of a departure for the Disney studio, and its movement is in an interesting direction. The Fox and the Hound is one of those relatively rare Disney animated features that contains a useful lesson for its younger audiences. It's not just cute animals and frightening adventures and a happy ending. It's also a rather thoughtful meditation on how society determines our behavior. TV Guide gave the film four out of five stars, saying the animation here is better than average. Veteran Disney animators Wolfgang Reitherman and Art Stevens supervised the talents of a new crop of artists that developed during the 10-year program at the studio. Though not quite up to the quality of Disney Studios in its heyday. Still, this film has a lot of heart and is wonderful entertainment for both kids and their parents. Listen for a number of favorites among the voices. Michael Scheinfeld of Common Sense Media gave its quality a rating of four out of five stars, stating it develops into a thoughtful examination of friendship and includes some mature themes, especially loss. And for the sequel, an intermediate follow-up, like we said, The Fox and the Hound 2. It was released directly to DVD on December 12, 2006. It takes place during Todd and Cooper's youth before the events of the later half of the first film. The storyline involves Cooper being tempted to join a band of singing stray dogs called the Singing Strays, thus threatening his friendship with Todd. It was critically panned, with critics calling it a pale imitation of its predecessor. Uh, for trivia, The Fox and the Hound Escape from New York were opened on the same weekend, July 10th, 1981. <laughs> and another inter interesting twist, Russell would star in The Thing a year later, which included his character name was Copper. Yeah, uncredited animator was Tim Burton. Which, but we said he was credited, But And he, his style was recognizable by virtually all the movie-going public. Some of his earliest work was the drawings of Vixie. Todd's lover interest, and that's yeah. all she wrote. All right. So before we talk too much about the plot, I say we go to the music first this time around. And I mean, we got to talk a little bit about some of the instrumental music, which was bad seventies and eighties kind of. Yeah, the first <laughs> the first song at the very beginning. I'm like fast forwarding. I'm like, yeah. oh, no. So it's late seventies folk. It's interesting, but you have Best of Friends by Pearl Valley is one of my favorite Disney songs. Ever. It's an amazing, amazing song. What do you think, Kate? I liked that. And I was crying with the song or it wasn't really a song, but she was talking to him when she was driving him to the river. Oh, yeah. Well, that's that scene yeah. sucks. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> there's no other way to put it. This movie still makes me cry. Dude, <laughs> I never cry. I haven't cried this much at a movie in like years. Really? Like when it started, when they chased him, and then I was crying when I thought Chief was dead. <laughs> Ever like right before that, I cried the whole. 
last really? half of the movie. I was, and Marsh wasn't home. I had to watch it by myself. Oh, so he missed this one. He but missed yeah, it. It's a great movie, but it's a hard movie to watch. Yeah. I blocked crying. it out from childhood, I guess, <laughs> from all the crying. So you turned into to Phoebe. The end. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> where she where her mom cut out all the sad parts of the movie. I, I it's I it's a definitely there's a, there are great themes throughout the plot. So before we get into that, I'm sorry. So overall, the music, the singing music is good. Yes. Because yes. I just appre- appreciate Pearl Valley's voice. Yes. Yeah. The background music. Uh, but I mean, it, it's it's just of the times. So for music, what do you want to give it? Or do you want to break it up into two? No, just one up and one down for me. Okay. Tim? I'll give it uh, two floppy hound ears up. you see i want to give the vocal music two thumbs up some of the backing music at the beginning was a little wonky but yeah i'll get i'll give it two fox ears up because i i I still that song is on every like disney it might not make it into a lot of the like the shows or the fireworks spectaculars but it, it has its place all right for the plot kate you want to take this one I liked it. There was a lot of stuff I wasn't expecting. Like when he lit fire to their little cubby hole, I was like, I yelled, you mofo. <laughs> I yelled it. I was like, you just did not do that. Yeah. There was like stuff like that and like the funny stuff with Chief and his leg. And then at the end, when the guy hurt his leg and he and the dog said something to him, it was funny. But. Yeah. But it was depressing. At the, it was like the beginning of Bambi where they kill the mom at the beginning. Yeah, it, it's yeah. it's a it's a very there's very a lot rough. of loss and a lot of sad in this movie. <laughs> a lot of Disney movies and from like the sixties and seventies and eighties are like that. Loss and then But I feel this one's gut punch after gut punch. Yeah. It's from the very beginning. Yes. We're like talking to his mom and they go in, off into the brush and you know you see the two gunshots. You think, all right, they're both dead. And Big Mama sees Todd and saves him. And then the whole went. I even like the cute little side birds. They were fine too. They weren't awful. Yeah, they, they, they weren't terrible. Yeah, but, I figured. I feel like though they've been replicated in most. But I was like, movies. that's Tigger. That's Tigger. His voice, yeah. the one of the yep. voices. Yeah. And do you know who voiced um, Amos? I f- we read his name. But... Jack Albertson, do you know who that is? Uh-uh. Grandpa Joe from Willy Wonka. I've never oh. seen Willy Wonka. You ever seen Willy Wonka? I've seen like parts of it, maybe like 10 minutes of it. <laughs> is that a Disney movie? No. No, no. it's not a Disney movie. Maybe we oh should put it in the movie summer. It is a classic kids movie from our generation. How have you maybe your seen? generation. You're only a couple years younger than us. <laughs> You are a Gen Xer. <laughs> For real? It was a joke. I know I'm old. <laughs> you're just, you're literally right behind us. Well, technically it was before us because it was it put out in 71, but. I was born in 78, so. But I just never watched. I've never seen any of them. The Johnny Depp, 
just the Johnny Depp one is is is, is weird. Yeah, uh, Tim Burton. Yeah, it was put out by Paramount. Um, but yeah, yeah, I, it's definitely one to watch with a box of tissues. Now, I have to ask for a kids movie. Like we grew up differently. Like this, the, the loss in this movie and I'm not everything sure, that would happens. Would Disney do something like this nowadays? I don't think no. they would. I don't think they would. I don't either. think they would get away with it. Parents nowadays wouldn't let them get away with it. They I mean, the closest thing we have, I want to say, is The Lion King. And even then, that movie is 30 years old. Yeah. It's true. I mean, also, I mean, just the hunting, the whole hunting aspect of it, I, I think, would get played up too much. Like, Peter would be, like, throwing a fit when they come back with all the hides on the yep. um, cart. Yeah, go, when I saw that, I was hunting. like, holy crap, that's a lot of dead foxes. <laughs> well, there were other animals. Yeah, but there were a lot of fox on there. <laughs> yeah, too. Um, some of the, like, animation effects, I liked, like, the snow part that they did. Yeah. That was pretty yeah. cool. But mm. I miss old school animation. So do I. Multiple cameras and mm -hmm. the static backgrounds and everything was layered on top. Just it's just a different view, which it was nice to have. For a plot, what do you give it, Kate? Two ears up. Tim? Yeah. Two ears up. I'm going to say the same. Two ears up. All right. So overall, I think it's safe to say that we all give this movie two ears up. Yes. Yeah. Two ears and a foxtail. People are going to faint at my two ears up because I hardly ever give Yes. The movie two ears well, up. Well, no, overall, because it's about animals. Yes. It's not just because of that, but Kate, it helped. <laughs> At the very funny. beginning, when the dogs kept barking, Ginger kept going. <laughs> Polly was not phased at all. Oh, so well, she's used to us watching like TV with dogs and stuff in it, yeah. so she doesn't it doesn't bother her too much. All right, so. Kate has the sad recipe this week. No, I'm teasing. So Kate has the recipe this week. So take it away, Kate. Uh, this week, I hope Tim hasn't done this one. I couldn't remember. This is Flo's V8 Cafe. This is the strawberry and rhubarb pie. It's strawberry season, so I thought I'd do something for summer. I don't think so. Yeah, this uh, looks really good. I'm going to get more strawberries. We live near a strawberry farm, so I might make this. You nice. need, for the pie filling, you need one and a half cups of frozen rhubarb, your favorite pie crust or pie dough, enough for a two crust pie, one egg, one tablespoon of water, two cups of fresh light strawberries, half a cup of light brown sugar, lightly packed, half a cup of sugar, zest of one orange, two tablespoons of fresh orange juice, two tablespoons of flour, one tablespoon of cinnamon. And for your streusel topping, you're gonna need half a cup of sugar, half a cup of light brown sugar, lightly packed, five tablespoons of flour, fourth a teaspoon of salt, one teaspoon of cinnamon, five tablespoons of unsalted butter softened, and one teaspoon of vanilla extract. For prep, you're going to place your rhubarb on towel layers of paper towels to thaw and drain, removing as much liquid as possible. Preheat the oven to 425. Roll out the crust for two 9-inch crusts. Place one crust in the bottom of the pan. Chill for 30 minutes. 
Meanwhile, whisk together egg and water in a small bowl to make it egg wash. Set aside, mix thawed, drain, rhubarb, strawberries, brown sugar, sugar, orange zest, orange juice in a large mixing bowl. Set aside for 10 minutes. Stir flour and cinnamon into the rhubarb mixture, strawberry mixture. Pour filling into shell and brush edges with egg wash. Add top of crust, seal edges with fork tines. Use a sharp knife to slice crust into the center of top crust. Using your fingers, pull back all four points of the crust until the dough can be pressed into the edges of the crust. Egg wash on top of the pie and sprinkle. Strusel topping on exposed pie filling. Collar pie with foil and bake for 10 minutes. Decrease temperature to 375 and bake an additional 30 to 40 minutes or until pie is golden brown. Removing foil last 15 minutes. Cool before serving and this makes six for a nine inch pie. For your streusel, you're gonna combine the sugar, brown sugar, flour, salt, cinnamon in a medium bowl. Mix in a softened butter with a fork or fingers until mixture resembles coarse crumbs and stir in your vanilla extract. Yes, please, you can send me a piece when you make it. Yeah. I don't know if it'll make it here, but. Strawberry pie is my favorite. It's the only fruit pie I like. <clears throat> I love. I've always wanted to try strawberry rhubarb. I heard they do go really good together. They do. They it's do. Just, I don't quite understand how to tell <coughs> if the rhubarb is fresh. They they actually our grocery store started. I've never seen it in person before. I guess I never really looked for it, and I'm like, oh, that looks interesting. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Like yeah. I don't know what I like how to like like I don't quite get it. So <laughs> that's that's just my opinion on that. Have All you right. ever used rhubarb, Tim? No. No. All right, I don't Kate. think I've ever even eaten rhubarb. No, I know I have. I've had strawberry rhubarb pies before. All right, so Kate, do you want to take have the pleasure of announcing our next three movies to be picked from? At least, you know, out of these three, they probably will not make you cry. So the new segment is called Tim and Adam Torture Kate with movies for the summer. <laughs> for voting next week, we have The Goofy Movie, Darby O'Gale, and The Black Hole. <laughs> I picked Goofy, Tim picked Darby O'Gale, and T or Adam picked The Black Hole. And I think Darby O'Gale was an original Marsh pick. I, think. I actually do think it was an original Marsh pick as well. No, I think you picked it, Tim originally did I? I thought it was marsh i think you but did I, it as a joke you or tim or you or adam did as a no joke. i definitely no, didn't it was, it. i know adam wouldn't pick that movie <laughs> i definitely didn't <laughs> i i know i did pick that I, but i'll pull a poll up and after a couple of days when it's clear who the winner is we'll watch it for next show Oh, joy. <laughs> Kate sounds so excited for our summer series. I love to hear the enthusiasm, Kate. But at least it, everyone knows I'm not a robot anymore. Well, we know you're not a robot when it comes to animals. Hence why you love the... the oh, yeah, the cat with the outer space. That was so bad. <laughs> it was fine. It was bad. Anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but she's harped on Flubber for days because he missed his we're gonna bring this up again she's gonna start yelling <laughs> we need to do like a sequel like does herbie sequel doesn't flubber have yes. a sequel but i don't know yes. if the sequel's on disney plus 
I'm um, pretty sure it is. Flubber has a sequel and a remake. Oh, that's right. It does. And well, so, so does, does Herbie. Herbie. Yeah, so does Herbie. Herbie has more than one sequel. sequel yes, though. Herbie yeah. has a bunch of sequels. We could spend a whole summer watching Herbie movies. I, I'd rather do that than <laughs> most of these. I like Herbie. <laughs> All right. So if you want to join in the fun and actually vote on the movie we'll be watching next, you can go find us over on our Facebook group over at Mouseliness at Facebook. And that's going to do it for us for tonight. So we'll see you in about two weeks. You all have a great summer. Bye. Bye. When you're the best of friends Having so much fun together You're not even aware You're such a funny pair You're the best of friends Life's a happy game You could clown around forever Neither one of you sees Your natural boundaries Life's one happy game <laughs> If only the world wouldn't get in the way if only people would just let you play and say you're both being fools. You're breaking all the rules. They can't understand the magic of your wonderland. <laughs> when you're the best of friends, Sharing all that you discover When these moments have passed Will that friendship last? Who can say there's a way? Oh, I hope, I hope it never ends